Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. As you're turning, I just want to say two real quick things. First of all, uh, I have part two to the young man this morning who Wednesday, I shared with you Wednesday, who'd inquired about the associate minister position here in 10 years. Uh, as I was, everybody was leaving and going out the back door, his brother came up to me this time and got me. Same MO, his huge smile and everything, he came up to me. He says, hey, he says, thanks for sharing that with everybody this morning. But he says, you know what makes it really, really good? I said, what's that? Who's a little bit younger than the older brother. He says, I was there and I heard it all. So he had a front seat to uh, that story. And he was letting me know that it was true and he that I didn't miss anything on either side with his, his brother's question and my reaction. Um, and the other thing I want to share is very positive. Uh, we had, as most of us, had an opportunity this afternoon to attend a uh, life uh, celebration for Miss Wanda Prophet. I just wanted to share my appreciation for that family, uh, the legacy of, of Mr. and Ms. Prophet. And as you grow older, you think about, uh, you know, what am I leaving my family? You know, what am I, and sometimes I think, you know, what am I leaving my children? Grandchildren I haven't met yet. Uh, you know, not from a material standpoint, but I hope leaving a spiritual legacy. Uh, we got to see that yesterday with Miss Ruth Bradford, and today we got to see that with the Prophet family. What a tremendous encouragement, even during a challenging time uh, for family members, but yet what you, you attend something like that and you walk away super encouraged that you see a life uh, that was committed to Christ you see lives that was committed to Christ, and you see a faithful legacy carrying on next generation, next generation. And for somebody like me, who I consider myself a, a little kid in a lot of ways, it was very encouraging to, to see that type of, of faith lived out, but also passed on to our, our family, so that to that family. So it should be a, a goal for all of us. I'm very thankful for what I got to witness yesterday with the Bradford family, what I got, we got to witness this afternoon with the Prophet family. So uh, it's important to see that wonderful legacy of faith continue. I'm very thankful for both families. Uh, this week I read an article by a gentleman named Wesley Thompson. He wrote an article called, Keep Preaching Even When It Doesn't Make Sense. And in that article he referenced, uh, or he showed, a very uh, busy and chaotic picture or painting that Pablo Picasso had created. And I kind of thought about displaying it, but I wasn't real sure about the representation. So I just felt better that I didn't want to display it, but just tell you about it. But Pablo Picasso was a very, uh, just it reflected a very chaotic world. And just as a side note, noted noted uh, artist from Horse Cave, Joe Downing, watched a documentary once about Joe Downing, uh, and he said that he had a brief mentoring and a brief kind of friendship with Pablo Picasso from Horse Cave, Kentucky, and he talked about his greatness as an artist. But in this um, article that Mr. Thompson had written, he says that Picasso says this about this picture that he was sharing in his, in his religious article. He says, Picasso said, the world today doesn't make sense, so why should I paint pictures that do? Thompson goes on to say, it is, quite, it is quite the statement from someone who painted more than 20,000 pieces of art in his long storied career. Poignantly, the first half of the quote is in and of itself picturesque of my own personal reflection from what 
that's transpired over the past week. And now he springboards into an article Thompson does, and he talks about the invasion of Israel that we touched upon a little bit this morning in class. But the point is that even in a world that we live in, even Picasso realized that he had a problem with painting, with, with creating art that made sense because he says, I'm living in a world that doesn't make sense. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I sometimes have to ask myself from a societal standpoint, where am I? What are we doing? From a, a uh, anywhere from the U.S. to the world over, when you see all the conflict, the friction, the conflict, the division, the all the, the things that's taking a place around me, that I have to kind of ask myself, what, where are we? What are we doing as a human race sometimes? And for us as Christians, I'm thankful that we can lean into and lean on our faith in Christ. Are we immune as Christians? Are we immune from battles, struggles? Absolutely not. You know that. No, we, we know that none of us are immune from all the chaos that's in the world, but how we respond to it is the difference. If you go to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, we know that this is depicting uh, the beginning of a little conflict here about a mission effort, a little mission trip, you might say. We know about mission trips. And there's some division over John Mark, okay? You might say in the moment, a little chaos. Verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John Mark, John called Mark, but in verse 38, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they, part, they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren of, by the, to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, lots has been said about this, this moment in time. We know about sharp contentions over how maybe some missions should be carried out. I know here, I mean, we had a meeting today uh, I was a part of, me and Leland and Mark and the ladies who work with our, our Bible or our detention center ministry. And we weren't talking about doctrinal issues. We were talking about logistical issues. And sometimes everyone may not agree when it, when it comes to those type conversations. But yet the mission can still be carried out in the middle of disgruntlement, maybe chaos in this, with this sharp contention. But we know that division doesn't have to be destructive. Uh, personally, uh, I like being surrounded with people who disagree with me when it comes to missions or mission efforts or, or meetings that we're having, whether it's school or here, meaning that if we all agree on every single point in terms of how something should be carried out, then we don't get to see maybe everything. If someone's not asking questions, if you remember, if you're my age or older, you remember Lee Iacocca. He was a big player in the Ford company. Kind of, He developed the Mustang, and he went on and developed, helped Ford reach new heights. They had problems. He was let go. He went to Dodge, man, put Chrysler on the map, so to speak. But I've read both of Iacocca's books, and he always says this. He said, I never surround, my, surround myself with people who are going to agree with me. He said, I want people who are going to ask me questions. And we're not talking about doctrinal issues here. We're not talking about salvation issues. We're talking about discussions. We're talking about how we can 
uh, find encouragement through discussions. Now, if you, um, especially in the business world, I know in education, we have a lot of sharp contention sometimes, some meetings, but it's never personal. It's, it's, it's in our, in, in school, it's professional. Here, it's spiritual. And you see the idea is that just because you have division doesn't have to be destructive. Because you see what happens later on, even when you have sharp contention, or you might say some something that doesn't make sense, a conversation doesn't make sense. How does Paul refer to Mark later on? If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. <clears throat> Paul says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now we had a sharp contention, but now Paul is saying, hey, I need him. He's useful to me. He will be helpful in my ministry. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. The text says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul did not let chaos or disgruntlement or a sharp contention impact his love or the love between one Christian to another in the mission of spreading the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, we see that Paul later mentioned Barnabas as worthy of what? Financial support. So he did not take it personal. Sometimes maybe we struggle uh, and take things personal. Uh, the older I've gotten, I've had to learn not to take every, everything personal, that no one is really out to, to try to trip you up. But hopefully that comes with maturity, that we can... We can be in the midst of chaos. We can be in the midst of hard discussions and be able to still be productive and not destructive. But we know that discouragement is real. We know that it must be understood and dealt with, especially in a chaotic, noisy world. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we see what happens here is Satan tempts Jesus. Now, as you turn, I'd like to kind of preface this text. One night we were in class and I really like, it's always resonated with me. It's kind of locked in my memory. I remember Leland says that, he said that if Satan viewed Jesus as a target, okay, think about that. Satan views uh, Jesus as a target. Our Lord and Savior, what is he, how does he view us? You know, we, we also are targets. We're probably viewed as being much, much easier and much more vulnerable, obviously, uh, from Satan's perspective. You look at beginning with the text says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If, you know, underscore if, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. He wasn't done, trying to entice him more. Set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you, if, again, he, you know, Satan's wanting a, a condition. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, and his response, Jesus is turning to Scripture, using Scripture. It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. We know that for a minute, how many of us deal with that type of vulnerability, that amount of discouragement? That you, Even when you're discouraged, sometimes isn't it when it seems when you have, you're fighting battles on multiple fronts? You know, this morning with the, the bag I had, I talked about all the things that we're all dealing with. Many of us, we don't get to battle one thing at a time. We're, we're battling many things throughout, throughout our day, throughout our life, that we seems like we always have something coming at us. For a long time, for about six years uh, in our community, most everybody knows, uh, you remember Mike Swift. I worked for Mike Swift. He was our analyst director and coroner for a long time. And every time Mike was really busy, you would call him and say, hey, Mike, what are you doing? He'd say, well, I'm fighting off alligators right now, meaning that he had a lot of things coming at you, especially in the, in the EMS world. Here in this text, you think about when are we most vulnerable? Well, what is, think about Jesus. He had fasted for 40 days and nights. He hungered. If you look at John 19.28, Wayne Jackson uses John 19.28, and he says this about this text. He says, it has been said Jesus began his ministry hungry, and concluded it thirsty. Jesus was next challenged by Satan every time he would say, if. We should not have to understand the idea. We do understand that who we belong to and whose we are. We don't have to kind of be on the fringe. We don't have to deal with if because we know for certain where our confidence comes from. It's the foundation of Christ. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. As you read in that, as we read in that, those eleven verses, what is one of the what is one of the many angles that Satan is taking? He's taking the allurement of the world, the beauty, the attractiveness of the world, the the want, the desire of all the things that the world offers. Sometimes we maybe fall into that category that we're wanting more, a little more, and a little more. And the fact that we want to maybe expand whatever we're trying to expand uh, professionally, personally, maybe from a business standpoint. But if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, when it thinks about here on the earth, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be, and there is nothing new under the sun. Sometimes we may think that our conquests are greater than others before. We may think that we've amassed so many things that nobody else can maybe achieve what we've amassed, what we've achieved necessarily. But yet, even with Jesus being tempted, what's one of the things that Satan's throwing at him? Look at all these things that you could have. It's something that we have to be aware of and fight against because we all want lots of things. I'm vulnerable. I would raise my hand that sometimes I'm not satisfied in a selfish way because I want a little more. I want a little more. I want more thing, better things for my family. But yet, if we're not careful that alluring and that attractiveness of the world will cause us to realize that next thing you know, we're in a trap full of burdens and we realize our, our focus should be our focus on our faith in, in Christ. Um, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, our ability to deal with chaos is connected to our ability to be encouraged and to encourage others. We know that Barnabas is known for encouraging others. Barnabas, 
us like Barnabas grasp the, the rela- relational nature of Christianity and strive to improve everyone else around him as interpersonal skills, you might say. One of the things, uh, the many things I love about, you know, we talked about the church this morning in Bible class, the intellectual development, the physical development, the social development, and the spiritual development is because we get to have the fellowship development. We get to be together Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and Wednesdays. And it helps get us through Mondays. You know, I don't know about you, I don't dread Mondays anymore because Sundays are so good that I'm ready for Mondays. I even tell some of my peers who complain about Mondays, I always say, think about it like this. The next Monday is a week away, okay? So just kind of put that off. They don't always get my psychology sometimes. But Mondays are much more bearable because we get to fellowship and we get, like Barnabas, encourage one another because encouragement is power. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read and look at some things that Timothy was dealing with as, as a, a youngster, you might say. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. No other doctrine, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the law, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any living thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy needs encouragement. What is he dealing with? What is he dealing with in Ephesus? He's dealing with the facing burden of responsibility. He's facing battling false doctrine. You can also say we're battling that in Glasgow around the world in our community. Safeguarding public worship. Uh, he, Timothy is dealing with making sure that his youth, his youthfulness is not becoming a liability. And Paul is encouraging him. You think about all of us, as you're, we're starting out in life. What's one, things that we, one of the one things that we need the most of? Encouragement. We need direction and we need guidance. In a, especially in a chaotic world. You know, here at South Green, we're blessed to have so many young people. Um, and I think about uh, how I used to be in that group, not as young as I used to be, but the young, but the young people uh, need our encouragement, our, our support as we seek to fellowship not only together, but also encourage them through being united in Christ. Timothy was dealing with the same type challenges and problems, and Paul knew that that even in a chaotic world, Paul was trying to encourage him. If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Timothy, not being ashamed of the gospel. You think about 
or go back up to verse 3 of his faith and heritage. Paul is writing, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwell first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We know that in a chaotic place, in a chaotic situation, especially if you're young, you sometimes get overwhelmed. But yet, Paul is highlighting Timothy's faith and his heritage. He's also reminding him not to do what? Not to be ashamed of, of the gospel. So we kind of head down the back stretch. We'll go back to discouragement. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when are we most prone to discouragement? When are we most prone to giving in to maybe the allurement of the world or uh, things that, that are tugging at us? Typically when we are the most tired. Um, I know a few years ago, or we've had actually had Aubrey Johnson here three different times, and Aubrey, he told us that something that he tries to encourage servants within the church to focus on, obviously scripture and, and all the things that we highlight, but he says rest. He focus, He tries to get people to encourage them to rest, take care of themselves, because that is when we seem to make our most mistakes or we're most vulnerable when we're tired, when we're dealing with, with a chaotic world. So look at verse 10 of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Courage can be a resource. Scripture is a resource. What is our attitude? If we can strengthen ourselves, be rested, but also be committed, our attitude will be that, that our foundation is in Christ. Zig Ziglar always said that attitudes determine our altitudes. It also drives our beliefs. It also drives our responses. If you go to Matthew chapter 8, while you're in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. You think about the context of what's taking place here, I think would be defined as, as dealing with chaos, dealing with a, a, our having our faith challenged. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Verse 24, if you go back up, you think about the boat being filled with water. Uh, metaphorically, how many times do we deal with our boat being filled with water? All the things that, that we are battling each and, and every day. Um, that if we are not, you know, and I think, you know, recently Mark highlighted um, many of our, our friends and our family and our neighbors who have battled uh, losing someone in their life. And many times we will say, how do people who are not connected to Christ, how many people, how do people deal with, with those type challenges? And I don't know. I know it's got to be difficult. It's got to be very, very hard. But yet when waters fill our boats, when we're dealing with the loss of someone through death, when we're dealing with the loss of someone maybe through relationships, 
that if we will turn to Christ, we can understand not a total wiping away of maybe our, our challenges, our problems, but things will become more calm if we seek to, to be committed to Him and seek to have our faith grounded in Him. If you look at Psalm, 50, Psalm 56, as we read of a prayer for relief from tormentors or from chaos, you might say, beginning in verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. And can't you just, can't you just see the, the tiredness of having your, your boat filled with water or dealing with chaos? Because in verse 2, he says, My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear. What can flesh do to me all day? They twist my words and their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps. When they lie in wait for my life, shall they escape my iniquity, escape by iniquity? And anger cast down the peoples, O God. Your number, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I will have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made you are to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. How many of us would venture to pray almost the same prayer that we are maybe feeling that we're being tormented or that we're being challenged or we're in a world of chaos seeking to keep our, our faith strong. John chapter 1 verse, or James chapter 1 uh, verses 1 through 12, we won't read those, but I refer to those. I even put a little spot in my notes of James chapter 1 verses 1 through 12, a productive struggle that uh, not that we're out seeking to be challenged or seeking to have things bad, bad happen to us, well, we have to learn resilience. Uh, I attended, attended a meeting uh, a few days ago. Uh, it's kind of a, a youth, a suicide prevention meeting of some different stakeholders in our community. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to, to a restaurant and listen and participate and share some things that might be helpful. And uh, what keeps coming up over and over and over is, and I never wanted to be one of those people, you know, that talked about the next generation kind of thing. So I've always tried to stay away from that. But the next generation seems to struggle with resilience, the struggle with failure when you fail. You know, I always say the one thing I've mastered in life is eating lunch in 20 minutes and failure. Those are two things that I, I, could, I have totally mastered in my life. But failure is an event. It's not a person. And how many times that our, it seems like our, our younger folks, not all the time, but most of our younger folks, kind of deal with resilience, can't deal with resilience or can't be resilient and maybe look at failure being a person versus an event. Well, failure is an event, not a person. And what comes with that is we're told we're in a fallen world. Jesus was tempted. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 reminds us of the productive struggle that you have to keep pushing on. You have to keep fighting and, and, and solidifying our faith through Christ. We must endure and we can do those things. We understand John 16, That's why the world needs Christ. That's why the world needs the church. Because the world doesn't understand that Jesus overcame the world. 
The world doesn't understand that the church will help instruct and teach about Christ. But John 16.33 reminds us where our encouragement comes from. That's where our resilience comes from. It doesn't take away our problems. It doesn't take away our pain, our difficulties, but it teaches us to be strong, teaches us to be resilient, and dealing with strengthening our faith in a chaotic world. And I'll close with this. This afternoon uh, at uh, the Prophet family, had a, again, had a wonderful uh, uh, event, wonderful time together, and, and Fowler Ross, he shared something I'd like to, to share with you that was very encouraging. And it goes along with our lesson really, really well. And I told him I would give him credit for it. And he said, don't do that. I didn't write the poem. He said, but you can share it. But I'm going to give him credit for sharing it. But it causes us to take an inventory of our faith, where we are, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. And it says this, Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are planning for eternity? Each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, a book of rules, and each must make ere life is flown, a stumbling block, or a stepping stone. We're all dealing with chaos on some level, some more than others. Others, We're all dealing with challenges, some more than others. A few years ago at the Challenge Youth Conference, the title was just simply called Storms. We're all either coming out of a storm, we're in a storm, or we're going into a storm. Nobody's immune to it, but it, how we prepare for that, it makes all the difference. Us as Christians, we understand John 16, 33. Jesus overcame the world. We need to make sure that we are in Christ and not in the world. Tonight, in a few minutes, uh, just in a couple of minutes actually, Steve, he will lead our invitation song. But I just want to challenge you and us in a world that doesn't make sense but we're allowed to follow the stepping stones to eternity as we walk with Christ.